Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS. Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Are you ready to get stuck into boys? Oh, absolutely. Let's get on in there. Fantastic. Well, lovely. Um, yeah, that's what we're talking about um, this week, as indeed is Ringo. So, yeah, first Ringo vocal. Um, what do you think of boys? I think this is a fairly basic song that is enlivened by a really vigorous performance. And I think this is all about the performance uh, and uh, and not the song. And, and just to give you an example of that, um, I was listening to it again this morning through uh, one of those dodgy pair of headphones where only one ear works. So through my left ear, I was hearing the um, the guitar work, the very kind of, you know, ploddy bass um, and in the distance, I could hear Ringo just bursting with energy, very, very faintly. But you could tell that that boy was really giving it something on this. Yeah, I think it's absolutely delightful. I think that's the word I would choose uh, to use to describe this. It, it's one of those things that it's just, there's so much enthusiasm and energy in it. it. It's a real kind of contrast to the last couple of songs that we've talked about. But there's just that sense that everybody's pulling their weight. Now, obviously... You are well aware of my pro-Ringo agenda, um, and it will be very much maintained here, um, because, I, yeah, I just think this is this is delightful. And it's so nice to hear kind of everybody putting their all into it. I think there's a real kind of sense of um, camaraderie about it. There's just everybody's doing their best to try and give Ringo his little showcase, you know, the best possible quality it can have. Um and it's lovely. I, I absolutely adore boys. I think it's also um, really important to note just how often the Beatles played it live as well, because I think that's a really good indication of what they felt about it. Um, they only played it in 63 and 64. So even though there were still, you know, two more years of touring, they didn't play it again after that. And yet they played it 125 times. You know, it is... Um, about the 14th most played live song that the Beatles played. And when I tell you that number 13 is I Feel Fine, you get an idea of, of just how popular it was uh, for them. Now, admittedly, they did play a lot of gigs in 63 and 64. But even so, you know, to play it that many times, I think, is particularly impressive. No, I completely agree. And you can tell why it would stick around for so long as well, because it's something that they really have nailed it you one of the things that comes across i think um on the album version is just how confident everybody is there's a real sense that that they can just they can knock this one out it's done that the, there's uh all the energy and enthusiasm that we've talked about but it's just it's just got a real sense of confidence about it that, that uh, this was a one and done this was a one take uh recording that's all it needed. Of course it is, because they've completely nailed it down. And at least some of that obviously will be the fact that it, yeah, it was played regularly before the recording session and will carry on being played regularly afterwards. Uh, but that, that sense that everybody knows what they're doing on it, everybody's got um, their part locked down, locked in. It's just, that's one of the reasons that it's got that confidence. But, and yet it's still loose. It doesn't have a, it doesn't have a tightness to it. it, it it's got that kind of slightly... Not sloppy, but it's just got that looseness to it that that um, that also helps to kind of really drive the energy for, for sort of through the whole track, um, and that's what kind of 
all that kind of coming together is what helps to give it that that sort of shot of energy. Well, listening to it through one ear this morning does remind you that it has a very repetitive riff, almost it, sort of early rock, you know, to almost think kind of um, early Buddy Holly style playing riff running through the background, which is, is quite interesting. So it's pretty simple in that respect um, and also takes it away, I suppose, from the um, the original, which was much more of the, you know, the, the black girl group, um, you know, sort of with a little bit more kind of fizz and energy uh, to it. Here you've got something that is a little bit um, rockier. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear that develop. But I mean, obviously, rockier in terms of very early, um, you know, it's got much more in common with rock around the clock than it has of uh, as with, you know, Black Sabbath, for example. So, you know, it's very much at that that end of things. But it sort of fits in with their their roots, doesn't it? Of of listening to um it's quite interesting. I have been been doing some and I, I really hate to say this, some actual research as opposed oh, to no. Yeah, I know, I know. When I say research it is, you know, just plowing through Mark Lewisham's uh first book, Tune In, about the Beatles. And it's very interesting hearing what he and other people have got to say about their listening habits when when they were young that yes they were absolutely mesmerized by um you know Elvis Presley and then the likes of Carl Perkins and so on and so forth but then actually once they discovered the black artists who were singing those songs even though perhaps obviously through the records they might not have known they were black they discovered something much more real and much more authentic so I do find it interesting that we have here a cover of um, a black group that they've just taken to their hearts and done something with and made their own. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, this is a... The original was just a B-side. So this isn't even like a major piece of work in terms of its original form. One of the things I like about the Beatles version is I think it's... Um, I think it does what a good cover version should do, which is it, is it manages to kind of preserve the soul of the original, but at the same time, it's not simply a replication of it. The, the Beatles version sounds like a Beatles song. It wouldn't be that surprising to discover that actually it was secretly a Lennon McCartney song on the, on the back end. It's not, but it could be. And that's because they've been able to kind of successfully translate that kind of um, song into their own... Uh, into their own style so yeah it has this kind of rockier feel it has this kind of I wouldn't say bluesy exactly but it has this kind of slightly rougher edge to it than than the original which is a little bit um, a little bit more smoky it's slightly slightly different in in, in its tone um, but it does have everything which makes a really great Beatles record like Ringo obviously we talk about his vocal but he's really good on drums on this those little fill patterns just before the the vocal lines are really well judged and and well delivered you know McCartney's got a really nice active bass here um that George Harrison um guitar solo which is uh, is very kind of Chet Atkins it's just it, it's very much that but there's a I, I mentioned like the way that this sounds confident before but I think George Harrison's confidence in delivering that lead guitar solo is one of the one of the sort of standout things. There are other moments on on the Please Please Me album where you can hear that um, George Harrison is is kind of concentrating really hard to hit the notes, and because of that, some of the fluidity is kind of lacking, or the spontaneity, if you want to put it that way. Uh, whereas here, he just 
belts this out. He hits his guitar solo, he knows what he's doing, and it's got a great feel to it. And it, it's one of the things that really helps to anchor the Beatles version as a, as a proper kind of Beatles song. Lennon's doing fine in rhythm, he's got good backing vocals going on. There's, there's, there's a lot in this, and it sounds like a Beatles song. And But it still sounds also like enough of the original is preserved to make it be a worthwhile cover. I think it's. I think that's a real skill and and one that the Beatles version absolutely locks down this time out. So with regards to the the George Harrison guitar solo, it's um it's it's worth you, you get much more of a chance of this with some of the 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 early songs, the early albums of trying to track down some um some live recordings. Um, you know, thanks to everybody's great best friend at the moment, YouTube. And and there's one which looks like it comes from a TV performance, so I'm not quite sure um, where it was actually broadcast. The camera's at quite a high angle, uh, looking down when it's got the the band uh, in shot, and it's quite interesting because because George Harrison seemed to stand quite a lot with his feet quite close together, clutching the guitar like it's something that that someone was gonna gonna um, drag off him. Whereas of course you know you look at, at John Lennon. John Lennon's got that power stance. You know that a few years ago, the likes of Theresa May and Sajid Javid loved so much in order to demonstrate just how powerful they were. You know, with his feet shoulder width apart, looking for all the world like he owns the stage. And the interesting thing about the guitar solo um, for this song is that George looks like he's enjoying himself. And I just ask you to just work out how many times you've seen clips of, of George Harrison playing Beatles songs where he looks like he's enjoying himself. Most of the time, he looks like he's trying not to fall off the stage. Yeah, I think that's probably exactly what he was trying to do. But it's movement too. I mean, it's it's not just the fact that you know he's sort of smiling and engaging. It's it's the fact that you can actually see him sway a little. You can see him move the neck of the guitar. You can see him effectively looking like he's trying to do something different with it. And I think that's that's you know a really interesting uh, point here in that that. George and Ringo both get to play the stars on this song. Yeah, very much so. And and that love, there's that lovely little moment in the song where where uh, Ringo says, "Go on, George," and then he sort of flies into his guitar solo. Um, and it feels it feels very natural. It feels very live because, of course, that's exactly how it was recorded. But it's just it's just got. You you can feel the connection there. You can feel the kind of energy between the two of them as 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 the as one hands off to the other, and then yeah, George just has this opportunity to fly into this guitar solo. Um, in a way, it's almost a an indicator of of um yeah the limits of of some of his solo um work elsewhere on the album because this sounds so good and it sounds so good on what is I mean I. I I really like Boys, like I said. I, th- I think this is a, a, a terrific, fun song. But it's relatively minor in the grand scale of things. And it's a shame that there isn't maybe a, a, a little bit more of that kind of energy um, on, on a couple of uh, a couple of other sort of uh, George Harrison leads in the album. But for saying all that, it's here and it's fantastic. Okay, so in relation to that then, um, tell me, what are the... Um... You know, it feels like we should have an, an insert card here. What are the key things that everybody knows about this album? Most of it was recorded in a day. Um, yeah, photo session, iconic cover, blah, blah, blah. What's What's the other big fact that people know about the recording of this album? You are, you're, you'll be so embarrassed that you've forgotten this. <laughs> go on then, tell me. It's the, uh, um, the let's go for another take of Twist and Shout. 
and then and, and John Lennon losing his voice. Well, yeah, destroying his voice on it. Yeah, I I will. Um, I, I actually I genuinely believe this. I'm not just saying this for some sort of you know um, trite talking point. I think that that Ringo's vocal on this is better, more powerful, more enthused than John Lennon's on Twist and Shout. That's quite the hot take. Um, don't call it a hot take. It's, don't don't <laughs> don't use that kind of language with me. Too late now, I'm afraid it's out there. Um, all right, that's that's that that's quite the um, warm opinion that you have there. Um, that's interesting, though. I, I I think Ringo's vocal on this is really terrific. It really is a very very strong. Um, vocal performance. What, is it better than Twist and Shout? I don't know. I'll have to go away and listen to them side by side after this. And, and, side, um, by side. <laughs> side by side. Side by side. And draw my own conclusions. But that's kind of... like If you, if you wanted to say like this is his Twist and Shout, I would certainly... I would, that's certainly an opinion I can line up with, definitely. Um, and for somebody who's not always praised for the quality of his vocals. Um, you know, there are times when, when Ringo um, really knocks it out of the park, and this is definitely one of them, no, no doubt about it. It just matches the song in every single way because it's also a fun vocal uh, that doesn't hide from the fact that it's a song about boys and, you know, we've got to about 15 minutes and we haven't actually mentioned the, uh, um, the gender issue in the room. Basically, because I don't think it's that important. It's just a fun song and they're having fun playing it. It doesn't really matter what the lyrics are. You know, it could be dogs. Hey, hey, I'm talking about dogs for all it really matters. Just a fun song. But he gets it. He gets the spirit of it. And and I think there's just a lot of reverence with regards to, to Twist and Shout. I think primarily because it fits the story of them recording and oh look they got to the end of the exhausting day and and you know he sang so hard that poor old Johnny lost his voice. Okay, okay, but it doesn't mean we can't go back and listen to something else and go right there's no narrative attached to this but it could be better than the one that has the narrative attached to it. And I think sometimes that's important. I think sometimes too much meaning is given to something because there's a there's a nice little story attached. And it's not to say that that you know Mr. Lennon isn't singing his guts out, which is fine, you know, he is, he's clearly passionate, but there's something about that performance that is much more stylized than than Ringo's, which is just guttural and loud and just full of the joys of being unleashed on an unsuspecting public. Absolutely. And I think one of uh, interesting that they're both cover versions as well, um, rather than um, Lennon McCartney originals. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree with all of that. I think um, I think Ringo's kind of passion and commitment to belting it out is, is definitely one of the things that makes this song so appealing. Um, there's a slight contradiction. Uh, you sort of mentioned like the gender thing, and there's um, on um, the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom, Wikipedia. Um, there's like, two quotes from McCartney, and, and um, around that subject, and one of them 
um, is that, that it, we didn't think about it. it. It was just a song we sang. And then sort of in the other quote, he says, oh, well, we were a bit embarrassed by it. Well, it can't be both. Either you didn't think about it and that's fine or you were kind of aware of it, but, uh, you know, fine, you went went for it anyway. I, don't, I mean, don't think it matters. And like you said, Ringo absolutely gets the spirit of it. So the, the gender thing makes no no uh, no difference whatsoever. Um, yeah, he, he absolutely gets it. And, and that, that side of it doesn't matter. It's slight, it comes across as ever so slightly defensive um, on McCartney's part, which is a bit odd, given that Ringo doesn't appear to have any problem with it whatsoever, and you know he's played it, you know, post Beatles as well. So yeah, it's it's a, a, an odd quote from McCartney. I I so would I be interested in knowing? Well, I, I suppose it would it would depend on when those things were said. You know, it it could be that they didn't think about it at the time, but then when they listened to it on the record, they thought, hmm, yeah, that does seem a bit odd. So, you know, I am going to allow him the possibility that, and I realise that it's not the done thing these days, the possibility that he changed his mind. That's, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's remarkably open-minded of you. Well, that, that, the, the, the quote was from 2005. It was from a Rolling Stone interview in 2005. But following on from that, his exact words were, it's just a great song. And that, to me, is the end of the story. Yeah, it's, it's just a great song. It really doesn't make any difference. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the Shirelles version as well um, it has a... It's slightly more innocent, maybe, than 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 the Beatles version. I think, um, particularly in the the sort of lead vocal, it's it's the way that they're singing about boys, and 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 um, there's a slight difference in the way that um, Ringo delivers that that first line as well, um, which slightly um, alters the emphasis of it. Um, and it, 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 it both versions work well, but the 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 original, the Shirelles version, has just got a slight touch of innocence about it whereas um Ringo's version sounds a bit filthy and that's great that's not in any way be that as a as a criticism but he it, it's a the, the original sounds like it's it's being sung by somebody who's um, maybe still sitting in their bedroom or who's you know it's got that kind of feel to it whereas yeah. Ringo's version sounds like somebody uh singing it who really knows what they're talking about the the complication is of course that it was a girl group that that, that sang it, but it was written by two um, two men as well. So yeah. you've got men writing for for women, which I don't suppose really matters unless they were writing something deep and meaningful. It wasn't that. It was just a hey, let's write a two minute pop song and just pick a bunch of words that don't really have much meaning anyway. You know. So um, yeah, I, I I think you can um, you can ascribe ascribe too much meaning. Um, you know, there's, there's clearly something in it in the fact that they they were so lacking in, in self-consciousness at the time that they just thought, well, what the heck, we, we're going to do it anyway. Um, you know, rather than, than it, it being a, um, well, you know, this is obviously a political statement and we don't believe in gender conformity, uh, which it clearly isn't. It's just a bunch of young men having a bit of fun. Um, so let's treat it that way. I think that's fair. I think it is also worth mentioning. I'm sure probably everybody listening to this knows, but I would feel remiss if we didn't um, mention it as well, is that Ringo did inherit this song because Pete Best used to sing it as well. Um, and it, it was it was the drummer spot. It was the drummer song. I, I, I don't know whether there are recordings of um, Pete Best performing this. Um, hmm. I haven't tried to find them. Um, 
But I'm having a hard time believing that he would have made as good a fist of it as as um, as Ringo does. He he did release a version of it later um, later on. Sort of Ringo or Pete Best? Uh, Pete Best in okay. uh, mid mid sixties, I think it was sixty five or sixty six. I don't remember the exact date um, because that's the level of research I do. But we um, so that does exist somewhere. But um, I don't know if there's a Beatles version, a Beatles recording with uh, Pete Best on vocals, but. Yeah, I just can't imagine that he would he would give it as much as Ringo does here. I just just as a um, um, a minor sort of steer into um, um, odd territory, you just reminded me in terms of thinking of those other versions. I did dig out the um, the the recording of "In Spite of All the Danger," the, which is one of the first songs that that McCartney wrote and yeah. uh, was recorded by the Quarrymen. It's actually quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's um, I, I was rather pleasant. I was expecting it to be absolute trite nonsense, and it partially is, but it's pretty good trite nonsense. Um, so you know, it may well be that there are some some versions somewhere of of. I realise it was also before Pete Best, but there might be some version somewhere that that of uh, um, some things that that he's got. I can remember him being on um, this morning in the maybe late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, when obviously it was the, in its classic era with Richard and Judy uh, from the Albert Dock in Liverpool. Um, and, you know, he was sort of in, you know, plugging um, a new album then, or, or was it a book? I can't remember. Um, I sort of th- kind of think of him in the same way that I think of Bill Wyman now, in that Bill Wyman obviously has been plodding on with his um, his Rhythm Kings for many years, um, you know, sort of imagine that Pete Best has probably got some little shadow band that's been going on and on and on for years, and, and he's been putting out very minor records on very minor record labels. Um, maybe even I can imagine him sitting down thinking, well, which Beatles song am I going to cover next? Um, and have on on the liner notes that I did it better. Yeah, yeah. Did, did, did he seem like a, a jovial fellow? During that interview, yeah, well, I don't don't remember him coming across as being too bitter. I, I think he still managed to talk about the fact that he had a you know a decent enough life. Um, you know, obviously, you can look at everything that that Ringo got um, that he didn't. You know, alcoholism, Barbara back. You know, and I'm sure there's more besides. And think, well, yeah, I could have had that too. But you know, who knows how it how it would have worked out. History is funny that way. I mean, would Thomas the Tank Engine have been the same ubiquitous hit without without Ringo's dulcet tones? On oh, it? I we'll, know. We'll, we'll just never know. That's, well, that's yeah, but you it. will know because um, wasn't it recorded in America with Jim Dale? Oh God, was it? I think so. Oh, how terrible! I'm I'm pretty sure there is a version of Thomas the Tank Engine that is not narrated by uh, by Ringo Starr. Um, Either that, or I'm mixing up with the Harry Potter books. One of the two. Anyway, they're, oh, they're okay. of equal literary merit. No, that's not true. I know that's not true. That is no, not. No. That is... <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible. How can you slight Thomas the Tank Engine oh, in that way? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You take it that way. Um, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. Right. So, um, by the way. Um, I mentioned earlier that there were TV recordings of. Um, um, of boys, um, it was recorded in in April '64 for for an ITV program uh, called Around the Beatles. Have you um, have you come across this? 
Um, I know the title. I don't think I've ever seen it though. Yeah, no, it's fine. It is available on um, on, on YouTube. It's about fifty minutes long, but of course, there's about nine, eight or nine Beatles songs in there. But Boys is the one that got cut. Um, but it is absolutely start raving mad because it opens like it's um, well. In fact, the staging makes it look like it's set a, a knockoff version of the Globe. It, it's right, a really right. bizarre thing, and it actually starts with, and you're not going to believe this, a performance involving John, Paul, George, and Ringo of um, the the play within a play from A Midsummer Night's Dream. So Paul is Pyramus, um, Lennon is Thisbe, for example, um, Ringo plays the lion. You know, it is that bizarre. And best of all, also in that performance is uh, a gentleman by the name of Trevor Peacock, who's a very celebrated British actor who most people would probably know, because everybody's career gets reduced to one thing these days, doesn't it? Um, probably know as the guy that goes, no, 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 yes, from The Vicar of Dibley. Okay, that's that's quite the <laughs> random collection of things for some reason. And it's, it's, it's such an odd um, little thing because it is... I mean, I've not sat down with the text and, and followed it through, but it seems like it's a fairly um, um, faithful rendition. You know, obviously there's a lot right. of hamming it up and, you know, and Paul McCartney sort of pointing at people in the audience who are throwing out jokey remarks. I think actually they're staged remarks. They've got other pop singers at the time who were on the show um, who are are throwing out little sort of heckles. But it's just really, really odd to think they're on this little thrust stage in what is meant to be like a, um, um, uh, you know, a, um, a rendition of, of the globe. It's, it's just fascinating that someone in 1964 thought that, that this was going to be um, um, the best way to present the Beatles. And it's an ITV production as well. It's not like it's... I know they weren't around at the time, you know, Sky Arts or BBC Four. Hey, let's get the Beatles involved in some form of Shakespeare. No, it was ITV. Really, really odd. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. That sounds you absolutely are, fascinating. Yeah. I can guarantee you won't watch all of it. You'll get about two minutes into the Pyramus and Thisbe skit and then you'll be forwarding through. Um, and then it's very odd as well because then they just run through all the other pop acts that are on it and then all the Beatles numbers uh, are at the end and they are miming and it is um, particularly when because um, it's George that sings uh, Long Tall Sally on, on this one because I'm pretty sure isn't it Paul on, on the recording yeah it is Yeah. anyway um, his miming is atrocious you know Excellent. we are on some pretty top of the pops early 1980s style awfulness when it comes to to the miming so uh yeah that's that's certainly a diversion but i find it hilarious that of all the things um that got cut from that it's boys yeah strange well not everybody has our high standards and quality and, and understanding of, of excellent cover versions yes and i can announce that there is a gentleman called joseph may who is the voice of Thomas the Tank Engine in the United States. Okay, good. Well, thank you for our Thomas the Tank Engine update. We will, we will consider that to be a one-and-done slot for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and actually, no, I apologise. He, he, um, he joined the series after the 18th series, after Martin Sherman um, dropped out. Anyway, perhaps I'll, I'll do a bit more research on this and, and come back with a, 
with a full update in uh, um, the, the next episode. Good. This is great. I, I'm, I'm really impressed we've managed to speak about boys for half an hour. I did not think this was going to be a particularly long episode. Well, no, in fairness, we've, we've touched on um, A Midsummer Night's Dream, ITV, um, and, and lots of other things. Um, you know, we, we've probably about two thirds of that have been uh, um, uh, about boys. But you know what? That's fine. That's fine. It's about time we sort of veered off into utterly random territory. I entirely agree. And having wandered off into other random territory, I think that probably gives us a good indication that it might be time to draw this to a close. So we'll leave boys there for the time being. I would just like to say congratulations for not referring to us going on the long and winding road. I I mean, we have a lot of episodes to get through and there will be True. plenty of time for really, really bad puns in the future. So um, That's the one thing that, that surprised me about the, the Lewisham book is that occasionally he does drop in lyrics from Beatles songs further down the line at apt moments. I, I wish I could remember an example off the top of my head, but as I'm going through it, I will pick some out for, for future discussion. Something to look forward to there, then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's draw a veil over this, shall we? Um, thank you, as always. You can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next week, we are going to be asking a relevant question. And that question is, ask me why. Why indeed. But until then, keep listening.